If you haven't met me before, my name's Melanie. Um, I was thinking, how do I introduce myself? I'm one of the leaders here at Real Life Church. I'm married to Stuart, who is the church leader. I'm Levi and Asher's mummy. I'm, I don't know what else I am. I'm the kids leader. Uh, basically, I just do whatever, really. So, um, if you haven't heard me speak before, you're in for a treat this morning. <laughs> Um, I wanted to do something very practical before we begin. We're, we're introducing contact cards into Real Life Church. You will be holding one, and I would like you to do something very practical. I would like you to take a pen. If you do not have a pen on you, shame on you. What are you going to write notes on during my preach? But I do have some pens, and I would like you to do something very practical and just fill out the contact card. This is an exercise that I will explain later. Please use email addresses that you don't mind us emailing you on. So if your work one is specifically for work, do not put that one down. Please use mobile numbers or phone numbers that you're happy with us contacting you on. If you don't want to fill them out because you don't want us to stay in touch with you, that is fine also. So I'm going to give you a couple of minutes to fill those out. I've got a few pens. I raided the pen pot this morning. Well, we'll have to pass you one. There's a million of them. The reason I'm getting you to fill this out is because I want us to be in the habit of helping others fill it out. And it's much easier to help someone else fill it out when you yourself have filled it out. Also, I think some of the numbers we've got for people and some of the email addresses we've got for people aren't right. So, or you're just rude and you don't reply. I'm, I'm not sure which one. I'm going to say they're not right. Or maybe they're your work email address and you would prefer it to go to somewhere else. If you're listening online, this is the particularly boring part. Maybe just go and get a drink or something, a cup of tea, a bit of cake, while you wait for me to actually begin. If you have to ask someone else your address, something is very wrong. Who's finished? Lovely. Joe, could you nip round and collect people who's finished? Lovely. And then there is a black post box at the back there on the pool table that says giving or something. These cards, once they're filled out, are to be posted into the post box. So when you filled yours out, hand them to Joe. She's going to make a mad dash to the back where the pool table is, post them in the post box. It's an exciting morning in church. What we're going to do from this week onwards is we will have some of these contact cards out on chairs. They are for people to fill out who are new to us and want us to be in contact with them. If you happen to be sitting next to someone who's new 
or someone who you think you've not been around for a few weeks, you've only been around for a few weeks, help them to fill it out and suggest that they go and post it in the post box out the double doors on the sneaker table or pool table. That's it. Look, Joe's done it. And that's how easy it is to help people stay in contact with us in Real Life Church. So, from next week, they will be scattered around on chairs. They are not for you to fold up and make into paper aeroplanes. They are for the purpose of filling out so that we can have people's details, so that we can keep people in touch better and find out the best way to keep people in touch. So we use things like email, the website, Twitter, Facebook, text. We just want to find out what's the best way to keep in touch with people. Okay, this morning is part two of a two-part series. If you missed week one, it's available online. Um, But I will give you a quick summary if you were not here. This series is called Could Courage Please Stand Up? And part one was all about courage to believe who God says you are. So basically the Bible is full of truth. And it's full of truth about who you are and who you are in Christ. Um, If you ever feel wobbly about who you are and a bit insecure, the best place you can turn to is the Bible. So you can open up numerous books in the Bible to find out who God says you are, now you are in Christ. If you are a Christian, you are in Christ and everything that's true of Christ is true of you. I gave you some sheets a couple of weeks ago with scriptures on it and statements that are true about yourself. The best way to utilise something like that is to read it out loud. When you read something out loud, you communicate it to whoever's listening and that may be God, that may be uh, the devil, that may be yourself, that may be your family, that may be anybody who's around you. When you communicate things out loud, they build you up They honour God. They tell Satan exactly what you think of who you are and who he is. It's brilliant to do it out loud. So what I would expect is that in your bedrooms, in your kitchens, in your cars, there are some Christians in Sutton Coldfield who are proclaiming out loud, I'm a child of God. I am born again. I am seated with Christ in heavenly places. I am a co-worker with Christ. My expectation is just like boxers come on to like a theme tune and chant and they're all pumped up my expectation is that we as Christians would do a similar sort of thing I'm not suggesting silk robes and gloves and all of that I'm just saying that what what sporting world does is often chance things to build you up so that you then will succeed at your task it's very similar in the Christian world so things done out loud and said repeatedly help build us up and strengthen us they, you basically talk to your own soul you say this is who you're supposed to be get on and be it and, and most of the time as Christians I think that is half our battle really is not believing what God has said about us and therefore not doing what God has asked us to do My personal feeling is on this particular issue of identity, you can go no further effectively in the Christian life until you've got this one nailed. Until you've worked out who you are in Christ, you will struggle to believe what he says about you, what you can do and who you can be. You'll struggle to believe people who tell you you've done something well or you're good if you do not first believe who you are in Christ. So I would say, Real Life Church, get this one sorted and then we can go after all that God's got for us. Part two this morning is called Courage to do what God has asked us to do and do it. The week before last, I read out a few quotes. My favourite quote is this one. 
Courage is not the absence of fear, but rather the judgment that something else is more important than fear. In your life, is it? Is Jesus more important than fear? Is the kingdom of God more important than fear? Is his name more important than fear? Is the Father more important than fear? His word, your friends, your family, are they more important to you than fear? I want to talk this morning about what we do with what God has said to us. I want us to believe that as a people what we do matters. And I want us not to waste our lives. I want us to get to the end and have God say to us, well done, you did what I asked of you. At the end of time, you will not look back on your life and regret not working longer at work or regret not having that bigger car, that bigger house. What you will regret at the end of your life is not doing the things that God asked you to do. There will be those who feel downcast and sorrowful as they face God because they know they did not do what God has asked them to do. So this, this morning, is serious as well as practical and as well as accessible. So to do what God has asked us to do is easy when we know who we are in Christ and we add it to a bit of courage. So this is not a heavy thing or a hard thing. This is an easy thing when we're in right standing with God and we apply courage to what he has said. If you've got a Bible with you, I'm going to unashamedly read one verse this morning. And I promise you I will do something with that one verse. So I'm going to read to you from John 5. At the moment, in my own personal time with God, I'm reading through John and just loving it. So if you're stuck with what you should be reading in the Bible at the moment. Let me do a personal recommendation for the Gospel of John. It is so good for your soul. It's got so much good stuff about Jesus. If you're at a point in your life where you're stuck reading your Bible, get into a Gospel. There's nothing like it to to stir you and propel you forward. So this is John 5, verse 19. And I'm reading from my pink Bible, which is the ESV. Um, So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, the Son of Man can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, the Son does likewise. In Jesus, you see this beautiful relationship between Father and Son. And and the Father is clearly in charge. The Father has authority. The Son and the Holy Spirit do this amazing relationship kind of dance with each other where they honour one another, work with one another. But you hear in this bit Jesus saying, I only do what I see the Father doing. He's like a son who's about his father's business. He's basically looking at his dad and going, what you care about, what you love, what you honour, what you think, what you hate, I will also. And that's exactly what we're supposed to be like as Christians. So we're supposed to look at Jesus and his life in relationship to the Father and we're supposed to say whatever you love, whatever you delight in, whatever you hate, whatever you want to speak out against, I will do also. Whatever I see the Father doing. I think how different my life would look if I could truly say whatever I see Jesus doing, I also will do. And I think as a church how different we would look if we spent our life becoming more like Jesus, who in turn is honouring and doing only what he sees the Father doing. So, yeah, it would be beautiful, to be honest. I want to look at what God has said to us, firstly as Christians, 
secondly as a local church, and then as individuals. In this room, there will be people already who are thinking, I don't have a calling in God. I want to squash that lie straight away and deal with that head on, because I want to show you what it is we're all called to as Christians, what we are called to as a local church. So if you don't have anything personal spoken over your life, I encourage you to get on with those two areas first and then worry about personal prophecy. I think, I said to Stuart, there's a little bit of a celebrity culture that invades our churches, where if we haven't got a word from a big-name prophet, we can't possibly do anything. And I want to encourage us to be those who take seriously what God says in his word and are happy with that. And if God adds to that through different people and different voices, brilliant. But scripture is so clear and would have enough to keep us going for our entire lifetimes if we never did anything else. So, has anyone read this? It's called What Jesus Demands of the World. It's by John Piper. It's not a test to see how spiritual you are or not. Um, This is a super book. If you haven't read John Piper, let me encourage you to read John Piper. The the man loves Jesus um, with a passion and writes... He's he's got a big brain, clearly, but writes in a way that's very accessible. So I don't enjoy big, chewy books. I like stories. I love biographies. I like books about revival. I I don't really enjoy books that are this thick, to start with. I don't usually enjoy books that have that small print. Uh, I certainly don't enjoy the millions of these that Stuart has on his shelf. Our bookshelves are so different. Mine are full of stories and revival and Holy Spirit. His are full of books, this thick and thicker. John Piper changed my mind. He's, he's a good writer, very accessible. This is 50 things that Jesus demands of the world. I read this in my own time with God over, I want to say over 50 days, because I want to make out like I read it every day, but over maybe 80 days or 100. But over a period of time, I read this daily in my time out with God and stirred myself of what I should be called to. As Christians, we're called to so much. At times, it's just overwhelming. So some of the things are very basic things. So the Bible is very clear. You must be born again. That's a calling. If you're born again, you're fulfilling part of the call of God over your life. It says you must listen to Jesus, obey Jesus, cast your cares on him. These are all commands of Jesus, things that we're called to do. As you get further into this book, it talks about um, dealing with pride dealing with childlikeness, actually becoming childlikeness, being a servant, embracing mercy and forgiveness, doing the will of the Father, being good news to the poor, loving your enemies, loving your neighbour. And he talks about who your neighbours are. Just brilliant. Um, Taking pleasure in what God takes pleasure in. Building his church. Sharing in the Lord's Supper. Just basically 50 things that as Christians we should spend our lives doing. I strongly recommend this. Even if all you did was look at the contents page and wrote down the 50 things that Jesus demands of his world. It's so stirring. And I remember reading it thinking, if I never heard God speak on anything else, that would be enough. If I live till I'm 96, which is what I intend to do, if I live till I'm 96, then I have got a lot of years serving Jesus. But that 
50 things would give me more than enough to be getting on with. So generally, Christians are called to so many things. Looking after the poor, loving one another, building the church, sharing the Lord's Supper, getting baptised, being born again. So many things that the Bible says to us that we are called to do and be a part of. Show mercy, look after our marriages, look after our kids. Like The list just goes on. I would say that whatever we read, I would love us as a people to add courage to it and just do something. So if God says look after the poor, add courage to that word and just do something. Even if that literally means for the moment I don't know what to do, so I'm going to buy a big issue every time I see a big issue seller. Or I'm going to do what Stuart and I have done for years, I'm going to sponsor a child in another country. Because oftentimes I've been part of churches that just haven't quite worked out what to do with the poor. And so... For me, I don't feel satisfied doing nothing or very little. So sponsoring a child was a really easy thing for us to say. We could do something about one child, one life in Africa. We could do that. So I I want us to just look at what the Bible says to us in basic principles and do something with it. So us as Christians, we're called to a whole stack of stuff. Us as a church, if you've been around us long enough, if you've spent time with Stuart, if you've listened to him preach, if you've listened to his beginning blurb, you will remember that we are called to be a large, influential, reproducing church. And I want to give us some practical ways that we can be large, influential and reproducing. I basically feel we've hit a point as a church where we're doing quite well, where there's there's a number of us sitting here, there's a number of us joining, and I feel very excited about that, but I also know this is not what God has for us, the extent of what God has for us. I also know in my mind's eye, we're supposed to be a thousand plus as a church, so when I look around, I celebrate what God is doing, but I also know that we are supposed to be large. I, I know that, Stuart and I both know that, we live with this sense of almost one foot in the we're a small church plant, and the other fitting, we're a thousand plus, having great influence in this place. And we, we live in that kind of tension and, and try to build and create as if we're going to be that kind of church. I want us to start looking at ways that we can start getting involved in helping us be large, influential, and reproducing. So I'm going to suggest a whole bunch of things that we can do as people that would take courage to come alongside what God has actually said to us. So if you've got a pen and a bit of paper and you want to scribble, fine. If you don't have paper, there's some here. And I did pass some pens round. You don't have to. I find it helpful to make notes. It keeps me a little bit accountable. I have something to look at. Or it falls out of my Bible and I go, oh my gosh, I've done nothing about that. Um, So to be a large church, I think we have to start telling people that we exist. And telling whoever will listen. And I think that for us means we probably need to carry around business cards, um, just the the postcard that we have, and just equip ourselves to let people know that we exist. I I know when I got saved, I was 20, um, I was almost 21, so I was 20, nearly 21. And I remember thinking, why didn't I know, first of all, that Jesus existed in the way that everyone was talking about, and that church wasn't like what I'd experienced at weddings, christenings, and funerals. Why didn't I know about that? 
Like, I've been on the earth 20 years. Why, why didn't I know? Why hadn't someone told me that there was this thing that was engaging, relevant, powerful, life-changing? Why didn't I know? And I think there will be many people out there who would give church a chance if they knew that it existed in this format. I think, uh, sadly, I think many people are giving up on the established church. And, and I think we are in a nation that is increasingly finding it irrelevant in their lives. However, I don't think church is irrelevant. I don't think Jesus is irrelevant. I think sometimes our packaging is. I think sometimes our packaging doesn't communicate to the world that we live in. So I want to encourage us to start telling people and, and face the fact that some people will just go, no, thank you, reject you, or think that you're a loon. Like, that's the worst that's going to happen in this country, that people will think, oh my gosh, you're some kind of religious nutter. That is the worst. Best case, someone says, man, I wouldn't mind giving that a try. I wouldn't mind taking a look. When it came for me coming and having a look, it took someone brave to say, come and take a look. And I was like, all right then. And actually what I discovered was Jesus real church. I really enjoyed church, which came as a massive shock to me because I'd never been in a church service that I enjoyed. I'd been in many I'd endured, but not enjoyed. And so this, that, this kind of thing was a bit of a secret that I discovered and thought, wow, why didn't I know about this before? Let's tell people. Let's carry cards around. Let's invite people to come and look. Let's start telling our stories. So I would love, week in, week out, for people up the front testifying, I got to share my story of how I became a Christian, of what God has done in my life, of healing, of whatever. Let's just start telling our stories. Let's make it very natural and normal. People talk about all sorts of stuff going on in their lives. We can talk about this. So I sat in Starbucks yesterday. Um, I had the morning off. I took a book. I had a Starbucks and I sat on a sofa and I just like, oh, no, no one yelling anything at me, grabbing things, trying to eat my hot chocolate, nothing. Just me, a book. And two ladies opposite me chatting about their marriages that were falling apart. Very loudly, very publicly, just chat, chat, chatting away. Trying to read my book, but I'm a little bit nosy as well. So, you know, there was a little bit of this going on. What I realised is people are quite happy to talk about quite personal things very publicly. Sometimes as Christians, we hide too much. We just... You know, people are out there chatting about their failing marriages, their, their state of their kids, the state of their homes. People are happy to talk about all sorts of stuff, some of it nonsense. It would be good for us to start talking about our stuff. So I want to suggest we apply courage to who we are in Christ and just start telling people. Just start being more normal about it. This is what my life looks like. This is what I get up to. This is what I do. At the weekend, yeah, I go to church. Yeah, I meet God. Yeah, I meet with a bunch of people who also do the same. Yeah, I meet midweek in small groups. Yes, I give. It's a very normal part of what we do as Christians. Pray for the sick. I want to basically set us a challenge, and, and we'll all fail at this, I will fail at this, but I want to suggest to you, every time someone tells you they're sick, you offer to pray for them, and you just make a decision. I realise if you're a GP in the room, that's probably going to be a little bit inappropriate, but... Um, how about if you're not a GP um, or you don't work in a hospital, that the rest of us, and you when you're outside of your job, every time someone tells you they're sick, say, that's fine, I would love to pray for you. 
and keep it very simple, very natural. I basically want to put out a dare. So I dare you to pray for every single person who tells you they're sick and I will take on the same dare. And we will start telling some stories. Because the more people you pray for who are sick, the more likely you are to see healing. That's the more hands you lay on people, the more times you go after God, the more likely you are to have a story that says someone got healed. So I dare you, church, to pray for anybody who tells you they're sick. Influential church. We're to be a large reproducing, we're to be a large influential reproducing church. Influential. My personal feeling on this is that we have to do something in our community and we have to do something with the poor. And those two things will probably marry up. So I've got a bit of a plea really this morning. For us to mix courage with what we believe God has said about us, we need to find some areas, some charities, some work, some something to do in our community with the poor. And I think we need to enlist the help of our church and say, guys, could you help us find a project, a something that we can get behind or that we can start? And can you start emailing us, texting us, Facebooking us, tweeting us, whatever. You could even go old school and ring us and tell us what you think we should do with the poor slash in our community. In order to be influential, I I don't think we'll ever be influential if we don't do something in our community with the poor, whatever the poor looks like. And I don't mind if that's Birmingham-wide, Sutton Coalfield. People will say things like, oh, in Sutton Coalfield you don't get the poor. I just think rubbish. You get the poor everywhere. You get the broken, the downtrodden, marriages failing, families failing, people not eating well. You you get that everywhere. It doesn't matter how middle class or how rich a place is. They're often more hidden in a rich middle class place, but they're there. They're everywhere. So I've just got basically loads of challenges and dares this morning. I feel a bit like I'm five, like I dare you. Um, Find us, email us, text us, find us something. We would love to put some money, put some time, put some people behind something. We just don't know what yet. Um... Reproducing church. To be a reproducing church, we first have to apply courage to our own lives. So you have to take who you are in Christ and help someone else become like that also. So you have to first get who you are in Christ. You then have to help someone else do it. It's what it means to make disciples. So we're not a church that is interested in loads of people praying a prayer and saying, I've become a Christian. We're a church who's interested in people becoming disciples. That means people who grow up in Christ, people that you can see serving, not just someone who prays a prayer, not just a hand held up, oh yeah, Jesus, I repent of my sins, and then you don't see them again. We're a church that wants to see people make it, wants to see people make it into the kingdom, make it into their gifting. We want to see people go all the way. In which case, we have to reproduce who we are. We cannot just sit and go, oh, it's great that I'm saved and it's great that I've got all this knowledge and it's great that I read my Bible and it's just amazing for me and I just love Jesus. We cannot just be like that. We have to apply courage to who we are in Christ and help someone else become like it. So I'm going to give some practical things. Um, Has anyone worked through a book called Start by Terry Virgo? Oh, a few hands in the room. Me, about 20 times. Love it. It's a great booklet for the Foundations for Christian Living. Oh, thank you very much. It's here. 
You should first work through it yourself and then you should find someone else who is younger than you in the faith. So not younger than you in terms of your years, younger than you in the faith and help someone else work through it. It covers baptism, giving, being a part of a local church, being spirit-filled, using gifts. It's, it, it's just good. It's just good, solid stuff. And it will help you help someone else grow. That's how we reproduce ourselves. So we help someone else grow into who they're supposed to be. We first help ourselves, and then we help someone else. This book is super, Purpose Driven Life. If you've done this, and you fancy this, or you've done this, and you fancy this is excellent. 40 Days of Purpose. It's so stirring, so inspiring. I think I have worked through this four or five times in my Christian life, and each time felt God speak to me about something new. I would suggest working through it yourself and take someone else through it. As an aside, um, I said to Stuart, I want to hit a couple of things head on this morning. This is one of them. As an aside, our life groups are for this purpose. We eat together, we chat together, we pray together. Some of you sitting here will think, that's so simple, we could do more than that. We don't want you to do more than that. We want you to eat together in some way, shape or form. Share some kind of food together. We want you to chat together and find out how people are doing. Because you can get into all manner of Bible studies and discussions and have someone in the room who that week has had a grandparent die. And no one has said to them, how's your week been? And they can go all through a Bible study, worship time, having not said to a single other person... This happened in my life. I share that story because that happened once in a group we were a part of that were too busy getting on with, we must do this, we must do the other. At the end of the meeting, this guy shared that my nan died during the week and I am just devastated. It, for me and Stu, it was a wake-up call. We were like, we cannot have life groups that go through an entire evening and don't find that out. So we suggest you eat together, pray together, chat together and pray together. That is what we would like you to do on life group nights. Outside of life group, you can have people round to pray, go through books in the Bible, go through one of these books, watch DVDs, go to conferences, do whatever you like within what God says is acceptable. That is absolutely fine. On life group night, that is what we want you to concentrate on. So when I suggest books, I suggest... I'm talking about on a Friday night, on a Sunday night, on on a different night to your life group. Uh, Trust us when we say we've been around church life a fair amount of years and we've seen life groups done well and we've seen them done badly. We intend to do them well here. The way we're going to do them well is keep them very simple. We're going to check out people, make sure they're okay, and we're going to make sure that people are prayed for. That's that's what we're going to do in life group. Outside of that, you can do all the other stuff. Is that all right? That's my first thing that I was going to go bang on. So, do you feel like I banged it? Or Yeah? All right then, good. Us as individuals. So, us as Christians, there's a whole heap of stuff we're called to. Us as a local church, there's a whole heap of stuff that we're called to. Us as individuals, there will be people sitting in this room who have personal prophecies, personal callings. Lift up your hand if you know that's you. So, you have received words from God pictures, words from other people. You have your own sense that you're called to something. Could you lift them up high so I can just have a quick squeeze? Lovely. Some of you are lying as well. That's outrageous because I've prophesied stuff over you. So even if you didn't believe me, I know I did. 
So could you raise your hands if you've ever had any sense of calling or prophetic words that gives you direction in your life? That's a little bit better. Yeah, okay. I'm going to give you a few of what I feel called to and I'm going to show you how to just take hold of the words that God has given you and do something with it. Sometimes prophetic words can have the opposite effect to what God wants them to have. So sometimes they can be so vast and so big that we do nothing because we literally don't know what to do with them. We literally think, God has told me that I'm going to be this, this and this. It is so far from who I am now, therefore I just feel completely like I can't do anything. And that can sometimes be the effect of the prophetic if we don't apply it properly and apply courage. So these are some of mine. So I I feel a sense of calling and I've had it prophesied over me loads of times that I will preach to thousands. That's... Like that's something I've got to be honest that terrifies me, excites me, like the whole thing really. But that's been prophesied over me several times. I have in my lifetime so far preached up to 500. So I'm there in terms of 500, and I and I I feel like it is an area where God uses me. So I feel confident to just keep going at it, hoping that this church will hit a thousand, and then that will come true in some way, shape, or form. Um, I've had spoken over me and feel it myself that I'll move in the miraculous. I've seen a few miracles, not many yet, but I've seen a few. Enough to whet my appetite and think, no, I, I know that's something God's called me to. Uh, I feel a sense of calling to move in the Holy Spirit. And not in ways like, I just want to shake a little bit, but in ways of helping people just be in the Spirit, really. Um, I feel called and have had prophesied over me that I will be a part and see revival. That, I just don't even know what to do with that. I just go, oh, okay, God. Like, that's got to be yours because I I have no idea how you see that. Um, I feel called and have had prophesied over me that I'll write some books. And I've started. So I have a contents page and I have some content of my first book. Um, It's particularly hard to write when I have two little ones, but I'm not going to let that get in the way. I will get that book finished and there'll be others. And I have felt called from about the second week after I was saved to be a part of planting churches. This is the first. Um, And I know that Stuart and I will stay here and build something big, but I know out of here we will plant others. And so I know that there will be some, the the prophetic over my life, that it will happen and is happening. Um, So when looking at prophecies and dreams, I just want to give a few little tips of, of what we need to do with them in order to help us to move forward. So I use um, just something very simple that I stole off someone else. There is in Christian life nothing new under the sun. So I unashamedly stole this off of someone because I liked it and thought it was good. So I use red, amber, green. So it's a traffic light. And whenever I receive something prophetic or hear something prophetic, I apply this kind of testing to it. I do this on my own, I do this with other people. So red, I stop and I make sure it looks like, sounds like, feels like God. And you know what it's like to receive something that feels like God and you know what it's like to receive something that doesn't. So something that doesn't often sits uncomfortably, weighs heavy, there's a way in which the person has shared it that you just think, oh no, that that just doesn't feel right. I'm not saying that it always feels comfortable, I'm saying there's something that feels like God and something that doesn't feel like God. I would always check that first and I would go no further. If it did not feel like God or the person who bought it just didn't feel like it came via the Holy Spirit or via God, I would just say no. If it doesn't sound like something that would be in the Bible, I would just say no. I would bin it at that point and I would go no further. So 
red, stop and make sure it looks like God or sounds like God or feels like God. And you may need a bit of a hand with that. Amber is ask some more questions. So ask some more questions. Ask some more questions out of the person who prophesied over you. If it's yourself, get some friends to help out. Just get a bit more revelation. And often the prophetic needs that. So often it's very, like when you read prophetic books in the Bible, they're very pictorial and they're, they're a little bit wild and wacky. So last night I had this crazy dream. In the middle of my dream, um, people were trying to get me to buy Starbucks cups but they were the really boring ones that they now have, and they kept like putting ribbons on them and giving them to me and saying, you should buy this. Bizarre in my dream. If I felt that that dream had something to do with God, I would have to sit down and talk to someone about it and say, I need a little bit more revelation. I need a little bit more help. There were loads of mugs in my dream. Like, I honestly just think I had a glass of red wine and a little bit too much cheese or something. But... Um, If I felt that was from God, I would get some help. And I would say, can you help me? Can you talk to me? I would ask the Holy Spirit for a bit more revelation, maybe someone else. Um, Yeah. And then green is do something. And I would say with the prophetic, do anything. Do something with it. So for me, like writing a book at a time when I have little ones and my life is fairly crazy and I'm planting a church, I'm trying to be a good wife and mum and friend and ah. Sometimes I just think, oh my gosh, there is more than enough in my world. However, I've been setting aside just little chunks of time scribbling things down. Because I just think I've got to do something. I don't have time to go on a two-week retreat and write a book. I'd love to. I don't. But I do have time for a few little bits and pieces to jot stuff down. So I would say, do something, do anything. If you know it's from God... If you've had a bit more revelation and a bit more help on how to apply, do something, anything with it. So if you feel called to see the sick healed, the miraculous, just pray for anyone who's sick. Just do something with it. I think the worst kind of prophetic words are the ones that just sit there dormant. Like God may as well gather them up and give them to someone else. They're the worst kind of prophetic words. They just sit around doing nothing. There will be words that you just think, that's not right, that's not me. But most of the time, they're things that, that are often, if you can remember them, they're in keeping with God and you, and you know that they carry some weight. So I would say do something, do anything with them. I want to just tackle a couple of half-truths, and then I'm going to wrap up. Prophecy must happen in your lifetime for it to be true. I've been at conferences where that has been taught. I've read books where that is taught. That one of the tests of the prophetic is it comes true. That can't possibly be true. So if you read prophetic stuff in the Bible, so Isaiah saw the Messiah, saw him coming into town on a donkey, told people that he was coming, and it was a gap of 400 years before the Messiah came. So even with the best anti-aging cream, none of those people were alive when the Messiah came. All of those people heard the prophetic. Isaiah saw it, spoke it out and said, this will happen. None of them saw it. So was that prophetic word not true? No, of course not. It just had a lifespan that was longer than the hearers. So we see it, they didn't. The prophetic sometimes has this lifespan that is bigger. So I feel in my heart of hearts that I will live in a revival. I I, I just feel that. I just know that. If I get to the end of my life and I haven't, I don't think that prophetic word is not true because I think I will have lived in such a way 
to affect change in my nation or to affect change where I live or to see people saved because I firmly believed the prophetic over my life. And sometimes that is what the prophetic does to us. It orders our steps. When we hear God, so I I firmly believe I'm going to see cancer healed. So it orders my steps. So I then pray for people who've got cancer. If I did not firmly believe that, I don't think I would even do it. Like, because it's terrifying. It orders our steps, the prophetic. It changes us. It does something in us. When we apply courage to it, we start walking in a way that we would not walk without it. So, prophecy doesn't always come true in your lifetime. However, it changes the way you walk. The second thing is that prophecy must be found in the Bible. So, I have heard people talk about this one and say, actually, if you cannot see it in Scripture, it it just can't be true. I want to tackle that as well and just say kids' work is not in Scripture. How many of you have got kids? How many of you would happily leave your kids in kids' work? And in fact, praise God for kids' work. You will not find kids' work in the Bible. You will find a value placed on children. You will find a lot of talk about church. You will not find tea and coffee, donuts, weekends away. You will not find so many things that we do as church because we know that it has a biblical feel to it. So eating together, being together, taking care of our kids, our young people. We believe in the values of all of those things. Therefore, we put on certain things. And that's the same with the prophetic. You can hear the values in it. Therefore, we do it. You don't have to see it in the Bible. So there'll be things recently where people are seeing things like gold dust and in meetings, like gold falling on people where where the presence of God is. You don't see that in the Bible. So does that mean it's not real? No, but it kind of feels like God. It kind of feels like the crazy thing that God would do to manifest his presence. You know, I read Revelation and there's jewels everywhere. It kind of feels like God. So you wouldn't find it in the Bible, but it kind of feels like God. And that's, that's how we kind of weigh the prophetic in that respect. And then lastly, this is my own personal feeling about this, but I think I was sharing it with Stuart and he said, I totally agree. We live in a celebrity culture and in church it creeps in. And the way it creeps in is often celebrity worship leaders, prophets, preachers, where they have this kind of, if they say it, it must be true. I want to give us a little warning. If you've received prophetic stuff from someone with a big name, you should weigh it exactly the same as if you'd received it from someone sitting in this congregation. You should always test it, even if Julian Adams prophesied over you, and he's a prophet in our movement, Even if, dare I say it in this place, even if I have prophesied over you, you should always weigh it because we mix the prophetic with humans. So there is something of God and there is something of humans. And I don't care how spiritual you are, there is still something of you that comes through in the prophetic. What we have to work out is what is you and what is God and what do we take away and what do we apply courage to. So I want to just give a little warning and say, if you have words from big speakers, big people, that doesn't make them any more true. You have to still weigh, work out what God is saying to you, whether you've got a word in life group or a word at a massive conference from a massive conference speaker. 
courage. Courage is something that we have to apply to our lives. It's almost the audacity to look something in the face and say, even though this looks impossible, even though this looks hard, I'm going to do it anyway. It's that kind of rise. I was at school and my maths teacher said I would never pass my maths GCSE. It was by far the best thing that could have happened to me because out of spite, something rose up in me and was like, you watch me prove you wrong. And I have myself a maths GCSE. Woohoo! I have it because something rose up in me that was like, no way. I will not believe that about myself and I will not be held back by that. Maths is not my strong point. Never has been, never will be. Do have a maths GCSE. Because something that I think is courage rose up in me and said, even though you say I can't, I know I can. And that's, that's something that courage does to us as a people. So even though you might feel, I can't do this, I can't do that, courage rises up and says, I can. There's something about the Holy Spirit on us that whispers, you can, you can. If ever you've been filled with the Holy Spirit, you just feel like a bigger person. There's something about God that rests on us and makes it possible for us to do things that are not possible. So I look around this room and see loads of people that come up against stuff and say, I can, when other people around them say you can't. That's courage. So my homework is this. Be sure of who you are in God. I I want us as a people to get this and to get this in our very being. Speak to yourself. Speak to yourself about who you are in God and what you're called to regularly. I regularly have to tell myself that I am supposed to see revival. So I will literally, and I probably seem like I'm a little bit crazy, um, I don't really mind, in the car, at home, walking down the street, you will often see me talking to myself. Or looking like I'm maybe talking to my boys. Maybe. I tell myself stuff over and over again. Because I know that it does my soul good. I know that it helps me become who I'm supposed to be. I know that it, it, it comes against negativity that is all around me and in my own head. I know that if I tell myself over and over again, you are supposed to move in the miraculous, it gives me courage when I need to pray for someone who's got a migraine or a stomach complaint or a headache or whatever. It gives me courage. It makes me think, I know that I'm supposed to move in this stuff. It gives me courage when it doesn't happen. I have prayed for many people with cancer who've died. It gives me courage because I know this is what I'm supposed to see. So I speak to myself. I want to encourage us to be a people who speak to ourselves. This is my second thing that I'm going to come up against. I think our worship time should be louder, more expressive, more vibrant. I say this in the nicest possible way. I think sometimes we are just a little bit suppressed. There are two reasons for this. Firstly, it honours Jesus. And I don't mean that he's honoured when we're loud and not when we're quiet. I don't mean that. I think if we make a big noise in this place and say that Jesus is risen, he exists, he's real, he's my saviour, he's awesome, I think that honours the King of Kings. And I know as a people that's what we want to do. I think secondly, if you tell yourself enough times that God is good, you will believe it and walk out of this place and live differently. If there's a little kind of, yeah, God's all right, he's okay, you will then walk out and that is how you will spend your week with, yeah, he's okay, God's all right, yeah. If there is a roar that comes out of this place, I promise you we walk out differently and I promise you your life looks different. So I would like, I don't even know how you measure this, I'd like our worship times to become louder, much more declaration. 
And I don't mean Matt and Phil changing what they do. I mean us. I mean us when we sing the songs, believing them and saying them over and over and over again until it gets right into our souls. And worship... And I, I said to Stuart this morning, I find this difficult because I am a loud person, so I enjoy yelling in worship and shouting things and clapping and stamping my feet. That's how I function. I also know that my husband is not like that at all, so he would by nature be an introvert, but I watch him get built up in God as he's yelling stuff, stamping his feet, storming around, saying yes, and agreeing with things. And when people prophesy, going, amen, I believe in that, it does something to your own soul as well as honouring God. So I want to say, let's crank the volume up in this place. Let's pretend we're a thousand, and let's honour God in the way we worship. I think there is something so powerful about out loud proclaiming who God is, who we are, what this church is supposed to be like. It's why preaching is powerful, because it's, it's a lot of the time stuff you know, but to be told it over and over again does something to us. I want to encourage you to chat to others about what you feel called to. So just grab someone and say, I've got these prophetic words over my life, I'd love some help. I can thoroughly recommend loads of people in this church to help you with that. As I look around the room, I see people who have actively applied prophetic words to their lives. So if you're stuck and you think, I could do a chat to someone, come and see me. Because as I look around, I can see at least 10 people, I would say, go and talk to them about it. Because I watch them applying prophetic stuff in their lives. I watch them striding out with courage. And lastly, I want to suggest, as a people, we do something, anything. As long as it's in keeping with who God is and what he's said to you, just do something. So if it is as simple as anyone who tells me they are sick, I am going to tell them. Or if it is anyone who asks me what my weekend has been like, I'm going to tell them about church. I'm going to unashamedly tell them how much I love my church and what I get out of church and how much I enjoy it and the donuts that they serve there. I'm going to tell them what church is really like. Even if it is just that, I want to encourage us all to do something. So I'm going to give you a moment now to write down or think or text yourself or tweet it or Facebook it or, you know, whatever, to think of one thing that you think, I am going to apply courage to that and I am going to do something, anything. So I'm going to give you a minute to do that and then we are going to out loud worship Jesus in a raucous, riotous kind of manner where the people outside might say of us, are those people drunk? And we will say, no, we are just filled with the Holy Spirit. If you have children, now would be a good time to collect them and bring their lovely sunny worship in here and their noise